The Word of God from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where it says, The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you may know, our topic tonight, if you haven't sung it enough times or heard it enough times, I'll say it one more time, it's by grace alone. And some of you may know we're in the middle of a of a sermon series called Sola. matters most. And tonight, sola gratia, grace alone. What does that mean, grace alone? I thought I should ask a few people. And one of the responses came back was, well, it means we're saved by nothing that we do on our own. It's all by grace. Another response quoted the verse we heard said before from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. I happened to ask my oldest daughter what she thought grace alone meant. And after she thought for a moment, she said, What probably would have happened to you and mom if you would have had me first Grace alone. (laughs) Ah, child. uh. (laughs) Grace alone. Definition of grace. I will be using the sermon outline on a few occasions during this sermon. If you haven't turned to that yet, you know this one by heart. In fact, boys and girls uh, that are here tonight, I think you are probably able to fill in those blanks without me even saying it. You see the word grace vertically there, and each of those words or letters stands for another word. It's an acronym. And uh, can you tell me what it is? Go ahead, call it out. Go ahead, from the choir loft. I know they know it. Don't be shy. God's riches at... Thank you, Lois. Dr. Hislop, it must be hard to get them to sing out, isn't it? God's riches 
at Christ's expense. I remember learning that when I was in grade school, and perhaps some of you uh, much longer ago than that even have learned that acronym. A definition of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. With the understanding that is, that is what is given to God's children, to his believers. I don't know if it's absolutely necessary to make this distinction, but perhaps you might find it helpful. Because where there is grace, it seems like a synonym is often mercy. And that is certainly the case. Mercy and grace may be interchanged. But if you want to make a little slight distinction, perhaps this might be helpful. Whereas you could say that mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve, namely punishment for your sins. Where on the other hand, grace can be defined as this. Receiving what you do not deserve. Receiving what you do not deserve. Again, just a little bit different understanding between mercy and grace. But they certainly go hand in hand. And that's what we get to be reminded of this evening. It's in God's mercy that we do not receive from his hand what we actually deserve, but rather we receive from him his love, his forgiveness, his presence with us, his, his promise of eternal salvation, all things that we do not deserve, all because of his son, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite accounts from Paul's writings, certainly, is that section from 2 Corinthians where our text was taken. You might recall that situation where Paul relates to the Corinthians talking about the difficulty that he was experiencing in his life and how he had pleaded with the Lord to remove his painful thorn in the flesh, as he called it. And then to hear these words from God. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word sufficient, it seems that perhaps the meaning that first comes to mind is that, well, if it's sufficient, it means it's just barely covering what we need. If it's sufficient, it means that it's just able to do what we want it to do. I think the amount of paint that you have is sufficient for painting this room or whatever the case may be. And so maybe it sounds like that God's grace in this instance in Paul's life was just going to be just enough to help him get through whatever his difficulty may have been. You know what? 
from our perspective, this side of heaven, in a sinful world, plagued by our own sinful nature, that may be exactly how it seems to us. That God's grace is just barely enough. But that's not how it is at all from God's perspective. You heard those words from John chapter 1. And maybe for a split second you thought, is this Christmas Day? For John chapter 1 is almost always read at that time of year. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But it goes on from there to talk about how Jesus was full of grace and truth and how we have received from his fullness grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I think that list could go on and on and on. Grace upon grace upon grace. Because that is how our God treats us. Even if we don't recognize it, even if we can't see it, even if we find it hard to believe, it is his word. It is his promise. We receive grace upon grace. As you may know, Martin Luther wrestled with the concept of God's expectations of righteousness in his life. He had grown up in an environment that was very strict in his own home, in his schooling, in his monastic life. He had a vision of God who was continually angry with him because he couldn't perform all of the tasks that he knew God expected him to do. He could not live the life that he was called to live in order to bring honor and glory to God. You might recall in one of his great hymns, he says it this way, Fast bound in Satan's chains I lay, death brooded darkly over me. Sin was my torment night and day. In sin my mother bore me. Yet daily deeper still I fell. My life became a living hell. So firmly sin possessed me. Such is our life apart from grace. A living hell. With the Almighty being continually angry with us and threatening to punish us for all the things that we have done and for all the things we have left undone. But as you know, it was by God's grace through his Holy Spirit, as Martin Luther was able to read and read and study, and as he wrestled with God's word, 
where he came to know that that angry wrath of God and the expectation of righteousness was now not something that Luther had to produce, but amazingly, something that Christ had done for him. That he was the recipient of something that he did not deserve. And when that grace came upon him and his eyes were opened and his heart was filled with that faith, the burden lifted and it changed everything for him. That, in fact, is what began the Reformation. A rediscovery of the fact that God is not angry anymore at us because of his son, Jesus Christ. He took our punishment and the anger which should have been towards us and took it out on his son. And in his place, he gave us his riches at Christ's expense. And from that point on, Luther's teaching, his writings, his life, his preachings would never be the same. Terrible. Unforgiving. That's how I saw God. Punishing us in this life, committing us to purgatory after death, sentencing sinners to burn in hell for all eternity. But I was wrong. Those who see God as angry do not see him rightly, but look upon a curtain as if a dark storm cloud has been drawn across his face. If we truly believe that Christ is our Savior, then we have a God of love, and to see God in faith is to look upon his friendly heart. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is there, I shall be also. I don't know if you could hear it well enough to see the transition. And how Luther was then able to turn that, that, uh, those feelings of inferiority and guilt completely around and assign them back to where they come from for the child of God, namely to the devil. Did you hear how he said, this is what you should say to the devil. When he throws your sin and your guilt in front of you in your face, you should say, I know I deserve it. I know I deserve death and hell. I am a poor, miserable sinner. But what of it, Satan? I have one who has died in my place, who has taken my punishment upon him, and where he is, there shall I be also. And is that not what it means to live by grace alone? This past Thursday, I had the privilege of being involved in something called the Reformation Walk that we held out in the church grove for our our day school students at St. Lawrence. 
And many volunteers got involved with that. And by the way, thank you to all of you who may have been involved with that. You did an outstanding job. God smiled upon our day with an incredible day of weather. And um, it seemed that, that uh, the experience was a very positive one. But in anticipation of the Reformation walk, there was a lot of work to be done and a lot of volunteer work behind the scenes and, and people created things and made costumes and made sets and all sorts of things. And there was one individual who had worked extremely hard on something and it turned out absolutely fabulous. And so it was in place and we were doing some of the setup and, and nobody else was around and, and I looked at the situation and I said, well, this has got to be moved. It's not in the right spot. Now, it probably wasn't the type of thing that I should have done by myself. But I thought, I could do it. And so sure enough, as I tried to move this object, I made it a little ways and then a little ways further, and all of a sudden, it started to rock, and all of a sudden, wham, smashed on the ground. Someone had put literally hours into this creation, and there it was, damaged. And so after being completely embarrassed, when others came back, they helped me to set it up, and the person who had created it, was just coming to see how it was going. And he happened to pull up at that point in time, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And when he looked at his creation, he could immediately see how it was damaged. And he had just finished it. It was perfect when he had given it. I knew that I couldn't fix it. But instead of giving me what I deserved, instead of chiding me or yelling at me or anything like that, instead, this individual went back home, got paint and nails and, and whatever was needed, and worked literally for another hour or more in order to restore what had been damaged. Now for me, that was a moment of grace. I did not receive what I deserved. Instead, I received what I did not deserve. I couldn't fix it, but this one could. And isn't that exactly what God does in our lives? When we come before him and recognize what a mess we've made of things. And instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us his grace. Grace alone. But you know, one who experiences grace alone finds that grace never remains alone. Because once someone has experienced grace alone, that person wants to respond in such a way to demonstrate true thankfulness and goodness and love and a life of good works to bring mercy and grace to others. 
Therefore, as we hear these words, by grace alone, we take comfort and know that that is precisely who our God is. Even Jesus Christ. Amen.